We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. A very different show for you today. James and Paul couldn't make it for work-related reasons. Uh, So in today, we have a special guest along with Elliot, Yankee Gunner. We have Billy Dunmore, also known as Educated Gunner on Twitter. Um, Yeah, so we managed to get a win against Leicester. It wasn't as comfortable as um, most of us would have expected or at least hoped for. But, you know, we won the game. The three points are are the most important, but it was a bit concerning that we um, didn't look right defensively. Um, yeah, Arsene Wenger spoke post-match and said that the players were tired. It could be the case. I don't know. Uh, it was a much-changed lineup. Looked, looked like quite an attacking team. Didn't quite click in all areas of the pitch, and I thought our opponents on the day gave, gave a good account of themselves, and we were lucky to escape with a win. Which is a bit worrying, but um, it won't be worrying if we sort ourselves out and get back playing to the way we normally can. Because end of the day, those three points will be consigned to history and they'll just be on the board. So, yeah, anyway, enough rambling for me, though. I'm going to hand you both to Elliot and Billy and um, enjoy the podcast. Arsenal back to winning ways with 2-1 victory at home over plucky Leicester. Uh, no thanks to referee and uh, injuries to Aaron Ramsey and Alexis Sanchez. We will get to that uh, along the way. But we have sort of a different discussion that's going to happen today. Paul, or Posen in my pants, who is a usual uh, contributor to this podcast, decided that work 
in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, takes priority, so shame on him. And James, or GoonerFanatic49, equally feels that work is a priority, which uh, is equally unforgivable. But that is no problem whatsoever, because we have a much better contributor than either of them combined joining us today, and I will be sure not to tell them that when they come back over the weekend. His <laughs> name is Billy Dunmore, and you can follow him on Twitter at EducatedGooner. Am I right in that, Billy? That's correct, right? Yes, that's it. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining us in the absence of our two erstwhile guests. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it, w it wouldn't have been your pleasure over the weekend, but we're discussing a victory. So it's better. <laughs> By the way, my name is Elliot Smith. Billy, nice to meet you. You can uh, block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And <laughs> we, will, um, we will be talking about the 2-1 victory over Leicester at the Emirates that occurred depending when you listened uh, or listened to this yesterday, the day before yesterday, six months from now whenever it was that you're listening in your time machine. Um, so first things first, Billy, obviously we needed the win to bounce back from a disappointing Derby defeat that kind of stopped some momentum. Just initially, when you saw the starting 11, Alexis back in the side, Rosicki replacing uh, Ramsey. Not super sure if that decision was based on form or based on fitness, although the manager after the match would suggest it was somewhat based on fitness. What do you think of the 11? Were you happy with the changes he made? Interest, interesting that he didn't choose a target man uh, for a game against a side that was probably going to defend deep. Yeah, absolutely. I was a bit surprised that Giroud wasn't starting. I think everyone was um, uh, very happy that we had a sort of fluid front line with, you know, Cazorla, Lexis, Ozil, you know, um, very mobile, but then I guess with the absence of Ramsey, um, like you say, whether that was injury or not, um, I guess Giroud and him bounce off each other quite well in that midfield. And maybe uh, even though Rosicki does make those runs into the box, he's better at finding those little spaces um, like Sanchez is. So maybe it was a it was an all-round tactical decision um, because of the lack of Ramsey. Um, but you would have expected uh, a big man up top. Um, whether it be Giroud or Welbeck, um, but uh, yeah, I was. Uh, otherwise, I was. It was promising the lineup for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how familiar you are with my opinions on Olivier Giroud. He's not my favorite player, mm. um, but I, I was equally surprised. I think the thing that surprised me more was that he didn't opt for one of Giroud or Welbeck. And I know Welbeck's just back from from injury, so that may have played into it after a really mm. intense match at the weekend. But you know, Alexis Sanchez hasn't played much as sort of our, our central striker. He was sort of nominally deployed there against Leicester, and he hadn't been great. It hadn't been his most effective position when he played there early in the season. I don't think throwing him in there, you know, rust and all after just a little bit of time off with injury was necessarily the ideal situation. I, I, don't, I don't think we got to see the best of him, although a knock to the knee no. probably influenced that pretty early on. Um, it was a victory, so let's... Let's at least stay positive for the time being before we say all the things that were wrong with the squad and the players and the team and the manager and everything <laughs> else. Um, do you have a man of the match that jumps out for you? Someone who, yeah, I mean, I don't know that there were a lot of brilliant individual performances, but if you had to pick one, who would it be? Um, oh, it's tough, actually. I think, you know what, even though um, uh, I'd probably say Meza Ozil, to be honest. I mean, ever since he's come back uh, from injury recently, he's just been in insane form uh he looks to have completely uh settled um it's almost like the pressure has been lifted off his shoulders with alexis being the main man almost in the limelight now mm -hmm. um and he's just confident you know even for the second goal i mean yeah he got the assist for uh, kashelny's from the corner 
And I'm sorry, just on a side note, apparently we're the team with the most set-piece uh, set goals in the Premier League now. I know. Which I can, find if, astounding. can you imagine how many we'd have if our delivery didn't hit the, fr the first <laughs> man the first like man. 80% of the time? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, even for the second one, he struck. You never see him do that outside the box, had a pop at the keeper. Uh, and then Theo Walcott um, brilliantly tucked it away. But um, I think he was just alive all game. He was looking to create. He was moving in off that left. And uh, I, I thought he was a player who, who looked like he could do something the whole game. Um, otherwise, I think Coquelin had another solid game in mid midfield, but he was he was partial to an error himself. So I think Ozil overall would be my man of the match. Yeah, I mean, first half, I think he completed... 37 of 39 passes second mm. half not as many I think 23 of 29 something in that range but you know what we saw over the the weekend at Spurs game I mean, he completed 27 passes in the entire match at yeah. uh, White Hart Lane he had completed 37 by halftime against Leicester exactly. did, did you feel I mean I, as I watched it he seemed to be popping up in a lot more positions, a lot of central positions, left and right. Do you think he's starting to understand the freedom he has in this formation to move, you know, into the positions he wants to be? Because he just played some sensational balls and played some guys in who, you know, ultimately didn't, didn't, you know, maybe find the shot they should have. I mean, Theo let him down on a couple of occasions. But do you think he's starting to better understand how to operate from that? kind of left wing deployment but moving moving throughout the different the various positions up front i i think he is i think that's that's a good point i think generally um up front you know at the beginning of the season we had this whole uproar in in the fan base you know what are we doing what's he doing and you look back to the 07 08 season was it when we had you know that that fluid midfield and, yeah, and attack and yeah. yeah 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 and they were all interchanging versatile it's kind of like that but he is really grabbing hold of that left or right whichever side he finds himself like you say he's drifting in again though if 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 Giroud were playing and maybe Ramsey as well that can become more congested and uh I think players like Rosicki and Kazola, sorry, um, are much more um, uh, understanding almost of, of that role, and 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 uh, will move out and in of the space, create space for Özil, and while Özil does the same for them, I think they're very like-minded players in that way. Um, whereas Ramsey would just come forwards, um, maybe on the wrong occasion, mm -hmm. uh, and block off the space. And Giroud is quite a central figure anyway, whereas Alexis can move out and come in. Um, so I think in that respect, it's helped him, but overall, yeah, he's, he's really taken to it. And, and actually, you know, people may say he's better down the middle, but he seems to be doing the business from out wide at the moment. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I think it's interesting sort of comparing his contributions with Cazorla because they're both guys that are tasked to collect the ball, you know, nominally in midfield, protect possession and try to play that through ball, that killer pass, that key pass that creates chances. I don't know that Cazorla is as suited to that. I know, you know, before he came to Arsenal, he had played out on the right wing, I think, a little bit in Spain. Yep. Um, and while I know he likes to play centrally and has put in some spectacular performances in January, I still don't know that his vision from the middle of the pitch is anywhere near what Ozil's is. You know, Mesut has a way of protecting the ball in what seems like limited space and, and still having the eye to pick... To pick out a player, and I think you know he's he's my man of the match also, and he he doesn't get the assist for the second goal, but it was his shot that created mm. the opportunity for Theo. But he he sort of almost gets two assists for the first goal because if I remember correctly, didn't he 
wasn't the corner a result of that sort of spectacular control in the box and that quick thinking toe poke? Yeah, that, yeah, it that was. They just it, kept he, out? he won his own corner. Yep, you're yeah, you're right. So it was a really nice passage of play from him. Now they had their chances all game, but second half we really were more on the back foot. And I want to sort of explore why you think maybe they got so much joy in the attacking third and why the second half in particular looked so nervy. And I want to kind of focus just for a second on the formation and the tactics. We got a lot of praise um, for the way we played against City. And there was this thought, you know, that we'd found the, the magic, you know, formula of how to keep our shape, sit a little bit deeper, play on the counterattack. And even against Villa, where we thrashed them, I think they wound up having like 52% possession or 53% possession. Yep. Do you think that maybe this... We're believe, we're buying into our own headlines a little too much now, or or that maybe it's swung the other way, where this idea that we can play without the ball and, and sit a little deeper doesn't always suit us. Because against Spurs, we definitely sat deep and never really got out of our half. And in the second half against Leicester, we just seemed unable to get any control in the midfield and, and any real possession. I mean, do you think that maybe it's psychological that that we're we're too willing now to play without the ball and it's starting to work against us? Or do you think there's something deeper that's happening in the midfield? Because it, in the last two games now, we're seeing some sloppiness in midfield and inability to really maintain possession effectively. Yeah, I, I think the midfield is an odd one. Um, you know, with with it changes quite a lot at the moment. You know, you've either got Kazola in beside someone in midfield or you've got Ramsey in there. Uh, there's always Cockle in the back and he did brilliantly away at City. He was, you know, maybe man of the match aside from Cazorla. Um But it, it just seems that it's chopping and changing quite a lot. There's not a lot of consistency in the middle at the moment. Um, and there doesn't seem to be an emphasis on on playing, you know, what we would classify as the classic um, finger ball or Arsenal way. Right. Um, the way we play, like you say, the way we played at City seemed to sort of stick in the players' minds. And we went to Tottenham uh, almost trying to replicate that too much. It was It was like they were scared to sort of go and play when they could. I mean, against City, we were attacking well when we when we did have the chances. And against Spurs, we just looked like, uh, you know, we were happy to just sit back. We got the goal, it was done. Um, and it can be dangerous. And especially as we've never really done it before. You know, we're still getting, to, getting used to playing a game like that. Um, I think uh, another, another problem is Hector Bellerin and... Uh, uh, Monreal, a lot of emphasis is on fullbacks to to be disciplined, and I think maybe sometimes they'll get caught up field too high, um, especially when we have a bit more of the ball, like we did against uh, against Leicester and Villa compared to Tottenham or or uh, City. But uh, I think overall, it's just down to a lack of um, cons- I don't know what you say uh, consistency in the midfield, just. Mm-hmm. You know, Ramsey's been in and out of the side because all has been in and out of different positions. Rosicki's been in and out of different positions. I think now it's the time of, yeah, it's great that we're versatile, but but give everybody a role and start playing them. You know, we've got to get a run going from now until the end of the season. And the best way to do that is have that consistent cohesion in the side. Um, And I don't think we have that quite yet. But again, like I say, we've just started trying this out. And it should be kept for those away games against big teams. You know, that's when we right. do it. We have the ability to play our way. 
Um, it just doesn't look like they're quite confident enough to do that at the moment because it hasn't worked out so many times this season. How, how much of that do you think is down to the difference between an Arteta and a Coughlin and the way they play that role? I mean, I, I do think Coughlin's playing well. I think he's been a bit of a revelation, certainly given that Flamini had been so bad and we really needed someone to step in in Arteta's absence. But Arteta recycles possession. He pa- His passing percentage is always in the low 90s to mid-90%. Um, He's usually the one who plays the most passes in the side, whereas Coughlin, you know, has had games in the mid-70s like Spurs. He was in the low 80s against Leicester mm-hmm. for, for pass completion percentage. Uh, he's, you know, not usually in the top three or four passes attempted in the side. What I, what I seem to notice is you wind up with a situation where a Ramsey and Cazorla or Riziki and Cazorla are in the attacking half but Coughlin is sitting deeper to protect, which is what we want him to do. But as a result, we are now seeing ourselves getting a little bit outnumbered in midfield when we try to turn defending into attacking, which didn't used to happen with Arteta because it was a very tight bundle of three midfielders with Arteta there constantly recycling possession, and Coughlin doesn't do that as much. Do you think that having a defensive midfielder whose mindset is more to sit deep and not getting to a position where he can collaborate with the other two midfielders makes it easier to press us and easier to for our uh, possession to break down in midfield? Yes, I, I think I think it's a very good point about Arteta. His you know, possession retention is really incredible and recycling possession. Um, one of the things about Coughlin, I mean, Fla- anybody's been flamming it, passing the ball and, and retaining possession, but <laughs> and Coughlin can actually shift his feet very quickly. He's very good at moving the ball um, you know, in certain situations. But, and by the way, seems seems to have the pointing and shouting down decently well yeah, too. He's, so he's, he's, he's filling he's, that role. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no longer can we say that Flamini is 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 the only person who tells people what to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the point I was going to make is that a lot of the time you'd see Arteta when he plays going back to Mertesacker or Koscielny and giving them that option in the central midfield. Mm-hmm. Now I see a lot of the time, because Koscielny isn't given that role, he's not a, a possession player as such, he won't be dropping into those gaps and offering himself. So you'll see either Ramsey or, or Cazorla dropping even deeper and thus actually taking away from numbers and attack. Or you'll see defenders ending up having to pass to the, to the right or left back and then having to start an attack down the wing, which in turn then means that the fullbacks have to go and support uh, the attack and thus making us more exposed to counterattacks, etc. Um, and that seems to be a pattern at the moment. I haven't seen a lot of, you know, Mertzsack will often come forward, look into the midfield and nobody's there to take the ball. Uh, he has to push it out wide or back to Koscielny and then to Monreal. And I think that's quite a big contributor to, to um, you know, against Tottenham, uh, the middle because all didn't get into the game because there was no one dropping deep to get the ball in midfield it was all That's right out wide. there's nothing connecting no connecting chance. the defense yeah, and, and midfield exactly. yeah. it was just not going down the middle of the field it was all wing play um and it can be dangerous because the way we play is our like i mentioned before our fullbacks go up gung-ho and we can get caught on the counter it happens we've it, seen it so much this season it is a little interesting to me too though because i think there's a bit of an identity crisis with the fullbacks right now in the sense that I see. I feel like they are being more cognizant of nece- not necessarily bombing forward the way they once did, mm. but if they don't create that width and we get pressed in midfield and everything is very narrow and there's no w- wide outlet ball, you know, right now it feels like everything is getting 
a little bit narrow. And and that may also just be we don't have wingers who want to stay wide. I mean, if That's you play Mesut Ozil as, as nominally the, the left winger and he wants to come inside and Theo Walcott sees himself as a center forward regardless of where he's deployed, you know, where does the width come from, especially if your fullbacks don't bomb forward? And if you're going to stay narrow, that plays right into the strategy of pressing energetically in midfield, right? I mean, so is it a case maybe also of, of not getting genuine wing play? I mean, with with Ox out and Theo not staying wide and and a player like Ozil coming in who's never going to stay entirely on the on the touchline, are we missing that width? And that's allowing that midfield pressure to be more effective. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point, and, and uh, I think it's a reason that a lot of teams these days, uh, you know, use that back three and then use their wing backs as wing backs and, and offer them with that way. Because you see so many teams with three at the front, and they'll have their target man or or centre forward, and then they'll have these two players like we do who like to come in, who like to cut in, either because they're playing uh, on their weaker side and they can cut in and shoot. Or it's because, like Theo Walcott, they aren't someone who will hug the touchline and run past their man, even though he has the pace to do it and he'd be perfect at it. He doesn't want to do it. He wants to cut in, find those runs, and finish. Yep. Um, and you see that with lots of teams these days, you know. Uh, and that's why fullbacks are so important. The problem is, is if you're paying, if you're playing that four at the back, you need to be offering width in your team somehow. Uh, and one of the one of the problems with the playing playing the way we do is that you do lose that width, and uh, and it it can be uh, counterproductive, like you say, it cannot um, invite teams onto you almost. Um, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, in defence, Bellerin sometimes is so conscious of of staying close to the centre back because yes. Mertesacker is quite slow. He tends to hug in too much sometimes, and just you just see these huge gaps on the outside on the on their left wing. On my uh, on my very professional running order that I created, so that this would by no means become just a rambling, uh, non-structured discussion. I have a mm. lot of joy down our right side. Bellerin caught tucking in? Question mark. Bellerin problem <laughs> or Theo problem? Question mark. Mm. So I did want to get to that Leicester and Spurs, but we'll stick with the Leicester game because that's at least loosely what we're discussing. Um, you know, it did seem that they were able to to get into that big patch of space on their left wing down our right side, Bellerin tucking in. And at one point, he made just a ridiculous step up. I don't even think it was to try to catch the attack, the Leicester attacker offside. I think he was trying to cover the short pass and left all the space in behind him. Um, do you think we're just seeing the reality of playing, uh, what is he, 14 years old, 13 years old? <laughs> playing a, a young fullback every single match is that, you know, he's he's going to get some things really right and he's still going to get some things really wrong? And do you think that's exacerbated by the fact that you have a guy helping him on that side of the pitch who cares about, you know, cares as much about defending as I do about being accurate with my statistics and opinions? I mean, <laughs> is, this, is this a Bellerin consistency age issue, and is it exaggerated when you play someone like Theo Walcott on that side? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you play a, what is he, 19, 19-year-old... Um, you know he's going to make mistakes. The good thing is, is that he's young enough to learn very quickly. Um, you know, uh, and he will, and he has. But I think when you've got a player like Theo Walcott playing, if we, if you could have Alexis Sanchez on the other side, it'd be perfect. You know, he tracks back so much. Um, mm. But um, yeah, Theo Theo just doesn't he doesn't do that. And uh, Bellerin has the pace 
to actually cope without Theo, really. But he just needs that intelligence. And he is lucky in a respect that he has Mertz Attacker next to him because Mertz Attacker is very good at reading the game. That's the kind of defender he is. But <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the bad side of having Mertz Attacker on your side of the defence is that you know he is a bit slow and you need to cover for him, which means that you can't actually cover your right side as much as you want, which means in turn that you'd actually want a player that can cover for you unlike Walcott so I think it's a combination of many things but yeah I think you know him being young and and him making mistakes is 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 part and parcel of the game it's going to happen unfortunately mm. and it would be ideal if we had Debushi and, and he could just play a few games and gradually learn you know and not have to but you know maybe like when Jenkinson stepped into the side a while ago I can't remember when it was beginning of season before last or was it uh, I I think it was the beginning of last. Uh, no, it was the season before last. You're yeah, absolutely right. I think it yep. was. And he came in around the same age, and he actually had a really good run um, because he was playing constantly. And it's it's good for Bellerin to do that. But um, like you say, the reality is is that he is young and he will make mistakes. And um, in that respect, you'd want someone more willing to come back than Theo, just purely because you know that Bellerin is going to make those mistakes. Yeah, and and you know I'm I'm looking at heat maps, and you know neither Theo nor Bellerin were were particularly involved, so their heat map you know looks kind of like a refrigerator heat map. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, if you look at it, especially compared to Monreal, you know when you look at Ozil, his heat map is a lot more central, but Monreal shows that he's overlapping. Theo is a little more central, but Bellerin wasn't overlapping, and so you do, you do lose that width at least on one side of the pitch, yeah. and I'm sure that that is to some extent. Uh, by design, right? Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, of course. Yeah. But that, I mean, that that does create some problems if you're if you're pressed in the middle of the field. So let's talk Theo actually, because I, I think he is a fascinating player. Uh, there are comparisons drawn with him and Podolski, and I don't think they're fair for reasons we can get into if you want. But you know, going by who scored, which I think uses opt opta statistics, um, he had 16 touches in the entire 72 minutes he played, wow. he attempted nine passes and completed six of them. <sighs> and yet, he felt like a very dangerous player on the pitch to me in the first half. In the second half, I thought his influence on the game waned as we sort of lost control of the game entirely. But if his touch had been better, you could argue that he would have had two or three clear chances on goal, and he did score a goal from good movement. Do you think that so, so let, let me give you the argument I've made before, Billy, and you can disagree with it, agree with it, yell at mm. me, shout at me, you know, type ugly emoticons to me in our little <laughs> chat window. Um, I think that we have so many players that like the ball to feet and want to to ha move with the ball. Sanchez, Cazorla, Rosicki, Ramsey, Wilshire. Um, uh, certainly, I think you would put Ozil in that group as well. Um Oxlade Chamberlain, I, I think to a greater extent. So many players that want the ball at feet. Isn't there a benefit to having a player like Walcott who can influence a game with 16 touches, whose influence comes from how he pins defenders back, the way he scares them out of position, the runs he makes? When I watch Theo on the pitch when we're in possession in midfield, all he does is start a little run off the back shoulder of the defender. When he doesn't get the ball, he comes back and starts that little run again. Yeah. Now, we're going to ignore for this part of the discussion his uh, 
unwillingness or seeming unwillingness to, to help out defensively. Let's put that to mm -hmm. one side because that is an issue, but it's a different issue. Do you think that the statistics are misleading with Theo and that he contributes a lot with movement and pace and, and product? Or do you think there's, there's something there to the, the statistics that you simply can't afford to have a player who most of the time he's on the pitch is not physically involved in, in receiving the ball, moving the ball, you know, playing with the ball at his feet? No, I, I, I don't think they are misleading as such. I don't think they flatter deceive or anything like that. I think he, he is an essential player in that respect. Like you say, we rely a lot on, on people receiving ball at their feet, playing the ball. He simply influences the game by being there, by being on the shoulder of a defender. And, you know, we've missed that a lot. You know, if you, if you have defenders pushing up on us all the time, you know, we're not going to be able to play our game. But if he is sitting there, defenders are going to drop off and be wary of him because they know that, like you say, even if he's not going to make, get the ball or, or reach the ball, he's still making those runs all the time. And I think it's actually a very essential part. It's not like, if we go back to the Podolsky comparison, which I actually saw uh, yesterday as well, mm -hmm. um, he is clinical. Of course he is. He's got a great scoring record and, and assist record and whatever. But he, even when he's not, on the ball, he is influencing the game, which Podolsky never did. Yeah, can, never can, did. I, can I give it to you the, the way I phrased it once? Yeah. And, and Is that um, Podolsky gives defenses a very easy problem to solve. Yes, he can bang it in with his left foot, but he doesn't give them a problem to solve, so to speak. You know what I mean? He's yeah, very static. Exactly. He's very slow. He can't dribble. So as long as you're organized and don't lose sight of him, he, he, he gives you a very easy problem to solve. Theo, yeah. while not hugely involved in terms of the ball at his feet gives the defenders a very difficult problem to solve. He makes intelligent runs, he moves in space, and he's very, very quick. I mean, yep. it, it, you know, that's kind of how I like to phrase it, is that while their involvement may look similar in the touches, passes, shots area, their involvement in terms of the problem they create for defenses is totally different. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, if you see Podolsky on the wing, you know you can stick by him. He's not going to really move that much. You can deal with him. If you see Theo on the pitch, you have to think about it. You know, it's 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 definitely going to be the player who's marking him. If not, that left centre-back on their team as well will be wary of it. Because he knows if Theo gets past his defender, it's him. You know, and Podolsky just doesn't have that, that fear factor, you know. And, mm -hmm. and Theo offers it and... Do, do you think, think some of this valuable. is just is just the frustration, Billy? Of he's been here for ages. He he's a player who, went, you know, frustrates people because they want him to be maybe something more than he is, and familiarity breeding contempt. Because I mean, he has been a twenty goal, ten assist guy in multiple seasons. We know he has end product. We know he's quick. He seems like a good, hardworking professional. Unlike you know maybe Podolsky, I I, I don't. You know, I don't see why people are so quick to be frustrated with him and think he's so expendable. I mean, it is interesting, you know, not that who scored ratings are by any mean gospel or anything like that, but his rating from who scored, despite the statistics, was better than Alexis, Flamini, yep. Giroud, Ramsey, Cazorla, Rosicki, Nacho Monreal, Bellerin, Mertesacker, and Ospina. The only two players who had better ratings on who scored were Koscielny and, and Francis Coughlin, who obviously don't contribute to the attack. So, uh, pardon me, and Mesut Ozil. You know, the other yep. thing is, no, he doesn't pass a lot in that game. No, he, you know, he's not 
playing through balls and things like that, but he had two shots on target and a goal. The only other player who had two shots on target was Mesut Ozil. Plus, I mean, I realize he's not creating much for other players right now, but he has had multiple double-digit assist seasons. We know he can do it. And if Sanchez had been fit, there were a couple opportunities where Sanchez could have played a very easy ball across the pitch for Tappins, for Theo, in positions that uh, Giroud, for example, wouldn't have been able to get to. Yeah. You know, it's not a cr- sure. criticism of Gir- Giroud, by the way. That's just praising Theo's pace. So, I, I th- look, I think we're sort of on the same page here, which is yeah. that some of the criticism is unfair. I think on the defensive side, we agree he can do more. Let's let's move on because, um, first of all, for those who don't know, we're recording this. Like okay, yeah, go ahead. Just, just also, he's still just back from injury, and he's still yep. making. You know, he's a player that we know. Once he's in form, he will score and assist on a mighty roll. You know, he was on a roll before he got injured. He was on a roll when he was just uh, just before he signed uh, the contract. Uh, you know, he's a form player, and I think he scored in. You know what, two of his last three games, is it? I think, you know, give him time, he'll pick it up, and he'll prove to be a really um, valuable uh, yeah. goal provider this season. You, you know what, Billy? I mean, he, the injury he's coming back from is a very, very serious injury. Very 20 big, years yeah. ago, it would have been a career-ender. And yeah. I know it doesn't have the emotional effect that, like, a Ramsey ankle break does, but if what Theo was coming back from wasn't a cruciate, but a an open fracture that had happened yeah. from a bad tackle, people would would be giving him yeah, a lot more room. 12 months. 12 months, yeah. exactly. And and adopt adapting to new players, um, adapting yeah, to exactly. a new formation that we're trying, a new way of playing. So, you know, I, I, anyway, I, I rather than this turning into a Theo Lovin, yeah, I think we're sort of on the same page. So <laughs> I, I want to get some quick hits on a couple of players, so to speak. Um, one is Ospina. Mm. Again, his reflexes look good to make a few key saves, but on the flip side of things, uh, some of his handling wasn't convincing. His kicking, I still think his distribution, even though it doesn't put us in trouble, isn't doing us any huge favors. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he covered himself in glory for their goal. What What are your thoughts on Ospina? Is is the love affair with Ospina maybe fading? I, I, I suspect that the manager will play Chesney um, against Burrow at the weekend, and if the, he performs well there, do you think Ospina's time as number one might be coming to an end? Um, I don't think so. I think we, I think we, should, we shouldn't be too hasty. I think we know that Wenger gives players a lot of time, and he knows that players need time in the side to uh, really cement a position, and I think he respects that. Um, we, we could see a situation like when Chesney was dropped before and Fabianski came in and Fabianski went out again. We could we could see that Fabianski was playing well, you know, and he was still dropped out again. But um, it will be interesting to see. I think Ospina's a good keeper. You know, he he, he got a lot of stick for for uh, you know palming the ball into dangerous areas and and not kicking quite as quite as well or far. But Chesney's distribution is also pretty pretty abysmal to be honest um and uh i think he's a great shot stopper i think he kept us in a lot of games recently he went on a what three game clean clean sheet run which we haven't had a keeper do for a very long time um to be honest i think again we we can't be too hasty to judge him um he's a very good keeper he's uh more experienced than chesney he's got good pedigree i think you know he's proving himself to be a good solid keeper and i don't think that wenger will be that quick to to drop him out um you know i think chesney still to be honest 
maybe even has a, a bit of <laughs> bit of uh, punishment to go through yet. Um, but um, I think Ospina is playing well. I, I don't think I think a lot of uh, the criticism is fair, but I think it's uh, being overhyped as such. You know, it's it's funny, right? Because it's kind of pick your poison. Do you want Chesney, who seems to command his area better, versus Ospina, who's been a little flappy? Or See, I don't. Sorry, go ahead. I don't, I go, don't go agree ahead. with that. I think Ospina actually organizes his area much better. He's coming to collect balls that Chesney wouldn't come and collect, and yet he's what six inches smaller. You know, I well, mean, let's I, put it this way: if if Murtasacker doesn't make an absolutely extraordinary header off the line over the bar when Ospina came and got nowhere near it. Yeah, but you know, that's one instance. You know, you could look back and say, I, I mean, it's... The, well, he the also, he, he you, punched Harry Kane in the back on a ball you never should have come for in the yeah. North London Derby. I mean, the, I think there's been a couple of instances in the last two games where he's come for balls and look, looked a little bit flappy. Again, but there's so much, you know, we can't... He's coming into the Premier League. It's much more a, a set-piece-based uh, league. Uh, you have a lot of teams who thrive on it. Well, that's that's why I worry. I mean, that's my point. I no, think no, he may be a better shot stopper. Do you think he point, handles set pieces gets, well enough? Um, he's not I big he has for, the for starters. Capability? No, he's not. But I think he has the capability to command his area uh, very well. I think he's a good organizer of the defense. Um, look, Chesney can do it too. I know, I know he can. And I actually think Chesney is a very good keeper when he puts his mind to it. Um, but I, I think that Osmina really does have a good grasp of how to command his area. And I think, yes, he's had a couple of mistakes, but it is actually, what, only his probably seventh, eighth game, you know, in the Premier League, yeah, maybe? that's fair. I, I mean, mean, look, some of this, know. I'll admit, is, is honestly, is just judging a book by its cover because he doesn't, yeah. pass, he doesn't pass the eye test for me, so to speak. Yeah. He looks like not a keeper. <laughs> I no, mean, I, so. I get that. But actually, you know, he's, he's made some brilliant saves and he's proven himself to be... Uh, much better than a lot of people thought he'd be. Uh, and I just think it's a bit early. You know, I think like anyone, you need a run in the team to really cement your place, get used to working with your defenders, whatever. You know, I, I, I just think it's a bit hasty and I think Wenger will see it that way. I can't see Chesney really getting a place back in the Premier League starting eleven, unless Ospina has an absolute shocker of a game. Okay. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> mm. um, you know, I mean, the, the reality is... If Ospina is going to be the the keeper for the league, he he's picked a perfect time to make the job his because I think what I've read is like, like eleven of our remaining games are against the bottom eight in the league or something. Yeah. Like that actually mathematically can't be true, but you get you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a lot. Um, so all right, enough about Ospina. Let's talk about the two players who got injured in the game. Um, Alexis really quickly didn't look great. I'd say he looked a lot less than great. And if his name wasn't Alexis, we'd say he was probably pretty terrible. Um, how much mm. of that is just Rediscovering form after being out a couple of weeks, being asked to play in a role that the few times he's played there hasn't he hasn't been very good, and the fact that after Upson just absolutely kicked the crap out of him, he wasn't the same. Um, are you worried at all by Alexis' performance, by the injury, or now that we've had a day for the dust to clear, you feel like everything's going to be fine? I'm not worried by his performance. You know, I think. Does I he think... like an extra touch? Does I mean, you know. I watched how we played against Villa, and what I've done is asked you a question and then stopped you and interrupted you, which, mm, by that's the way, right. is a regular feature of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, is is there a little bit something of something to the idea that learning to play with him is also different for his teammates because because he does take the extra touch that some of the other players don't? 
Yep. And I think, you know, we have to remember that that's partially why we love him and why he's such a great player. True. Yep. Um, the top players in the world, you look at Ronaldo, you look at Messi, you look at Neymar, you look at anyone like that who takes this ball by the scruff of the neck and just, you know, throttles it into submission. You, you know, you're going to lose the ball a couple of times when you take that extra touch. But you know what? Most of the time he's playing amazing football. Um, I think that's part of his game, basically. Um uh, he's a dribbler, you know, he's he's someone who can open up defenders, run round defenders, faint. You know, you, in order to do that, you need to take the extra touch. He's a selfish kid in the playground, you know, he's one of those players. Um, and that's all he is on the football pitch, is a kid in the playground. Um, in terms of performance, I think it was expected. Uh, I think the fact is he's out. He probably shouldn't have been, even been playing in this game. Uh, but he seems to have this... Like again, a kid in the playground, unrelenting uh, desires to just go out and play, uh, regardless of his, um, f- you know, f- level of fitness. Um, and it it is worrying, but again, sometimes those players, you know, you look at the Ronaldo's, you look at the Messi's, they play every game, and they don't get injured because they're so good at what they do. And it is actually a thing, I think, that if you are moving quick enough and moving swiftly enough, and actually not exerting maybe as much as you know other players do because you're it's effortless almost i know he looks like he's working hard but the way he moves on the ball you know he he can play more games i think but the fact is is that he got clattered some way into when did when did he get injured i mean it was it was early in the first half yeah maybe the first 25 minutes or so yeah he was playing most of the game you know with a knock, and uh, unfortunately, he's not the sort of player who'd be like, take me off. Um, well, well, can I just ask you about that? I mean, look, I know it's endearing at first to have a player who's tigerish and wants to play every second and run every second, but the manager said after the match he wanted to take him off at halftime, and the player said, no, I want to keep playing. At some point, like, that can't be the policy at a huge club, is that, hey, you're our best player, our star player, we need you, you look injured, I want to take you off, no, you can't take me off. Okay, if you say so. I mean, like, yeah. yeah, are we starting to get to the point where this, we can't keep him off the training pitch, we can't keep him from playing, even when he's not fit business, like, no longer endearing and just plain stupid? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is silly sometimes. Maybe what... What Wenger should have done is, is said, look, if you want to play, then I'm going to take you off in 10 minutes, and that's that. You know, mm. and then Alex, you know, it's a much better, uh, much more diplomatic way of going about things. He didn't than, look happy to be taken off, that's for sure. No, but you know, he's not going to. You and, don't you want know, him to. Well, that's the that was my point, right? Exactly. I mean, you. But that's where it comes, like you say, to the manager. It is his responsibility to then do it because, yeah, it's great that he wants to stay on and and let him have that. But you have to be the manager. So you have to be the bad guy, and you yeah. have to take him off. You know, and it also shows that you're in charge. You know, you can't let them boss you around unfortunately, and I know Wenger wouldn't, but what he should have done is just said, look, I'm going to take you off at, at 55 minutes, and, yeah. and, and that's that. And then at least you give the impression you're letting him do what he wants to, and then you take him off. But I, I don't know. I think... But not not worried, different. right? I mean, the injury no, it's, sounds it's, like it's nothing. He'll come back, and he'll he'll be his, his fantastic yeah, self. Yeah, well, but it could have been a lot worse. But but that in itself is another matter, because Upson came flying in stupidly. So. Well, that, that could have been an orange card, and I mean, there was no call. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna to get to the ref briefly in a, in a second. Um, last question on Alexis. Would you just rest him for Burrow, though, or, or is that yeah, impossible? Absolutely. I mean, look, <laughs> no reason to risk him, honestly. Either that or don't play him in the next against, uh, what is it? Palace Palace, Palace away. I think we'll need him against Palace, though. So yeah. I think. And, and the issue being that then you go back to the Champions League. So, I mean, this is the, this is the opportunity to let him get one more. Yeah, rest, I, you know. I think take him out, you know, let Theo play again. 
get Theo some minutes, maybe play, you know, Rosicki or uh, or Kazola, um, you know, in the hole and and Ozil out wide on the other side. Yeah. And play Giroud up front, you know, or Welbeck even. Let's talk I mean, about a player who's not going to so many be... options up front. We may as well use him. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea of having a big squad. I mean, exactly. uh, let, let's talk about a player who won't be playing for a little bit, Aaron Ramsey. Mm. Um, he hasn't been in form and now he's not going to be around. Is it fair to call this a lost season for Ramsey at this point? And uh, who who do you think fills the hole? Is the the imminently returning Jack Wilshire the real beneficiary, so to speak, of this in that he would have been struggling to get his place back and now he naturally takes that place? Do you use Santi Cazorla there um, and, and move Ozil naturally back to his more central position, let Alexis play wide? I mean, what's your best solution? Is it simply a like-for-like Rosicki switch? Can Rosicki play every game? Um, this is 32 questions in one, but essentially... Yeah, yeah, it's, fu- it's fine. I, yeah. I think, first of all, in terms of Ramsey's season, it's a real shame. And, I mean, it's really, you know, unlucky. He's, well, is it unlucky? Because mu- a lot of muscular injuries. Yeah, but, three uh, hamstring injuries now. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a real shame for him because last season he was just explosive. You know, he was incredibly good, high on confidence. It was a shame that he didn't seem to have that confidence coming into the new season. Uh, I don't know why, but he just didn't seem to carry it through the summer. Maybe not playing in the international tournament maybe had an effect on that because he wasn't playing as much football. But uh, I don't know. He just... he, he he came in and he lost his confidence a bit because he wasn't often firing. He actually did all right at the beginning of the season. Um, but um, he wasn't, you know, playing the way he usually was. He was afraid. He was going forward at the wrong time, staying back at the wrong time. Um, he just didn't look himself and then he got injured. So I think now if he's out for four weeks, like they say he is, then it, it could be pretty hard to, to sort of make his, make his mark on this season really. But um, in terms of, in terms of replacing him, I think I think Rosicki can play there. I don't think he can play there every game. I don't think Rosicki can play anywhere every game. He's too old for that. We have to remember he's 34 years old. Yeah. I have to pinch myself sometimes because, you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, he, he runs around like he's 24 years old. But um, he can't play every game. I think you can play Cazorla in there. He's been very good. But I think that the fact is is that Wenger will want to play Wilshire. Um uh, I think it will take a while for Wilshire to really get back into game fitness. Um, but I think as soon as he starts reaching that level of fitness again, he'll be he'll be in the next to Cochrane. Um because I think Wenger loves him too much, to be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 it's disappointing, and I've been critical of Ramsey of late because not because I dislike him, but just because. I don't think he's played particularly well. He, you know, it's been a stop-start season, which may explain yep. some of it. Um, but it is really unfortunate. I mean, there is no scenario where a Ramsey injury is good for us. That's for sure. Um, no. So it, it'll be disappointing, and, and you really wonder where his season goes from here. Um, I think the person who's going to have to step up, in my opinion, and really prove that he's as good as he thinks he is, is Jack Wilshire. Mm-hmm. Um, the talent's there. We'll see if he can you know, pull it all together. The good news, I guess, if you want to have a good spin on it is we're not going to see Wenger, at least for the next three or four weeks, trying to shoehorn both of them into the side, which hasn't worked. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick on the refereeing. I believe it was Mike Jones, correct? Um, mm. Another awful refereeing di- performance. I mean, at one point he booked Giroud apparently for existing in the same plane 
uh, as the goalkeeper in the ball. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't understand. I, I, I don't know what the rule is, but he wasn't even in the box. No, I, I mean, I think what Jones may have thought is that he interfered with the keeper's ability to drop and cleanly kick the ball. The, the yeah, ball is right. in the keeper's possession. He's about, he's about two meters away from him, isn't he? Yeah, he just. I, I my, my, my guess is he just didn't see it. Um, or yeah. maybe the linesman communicated something to him. I, you know, I wasn't in the ground, obviously, so I have no idea if the linesman's flag went up. But um, just in general, what's what's happening with with the Premier League in terms of refereeing? What's been your your sense of why it has deteriorated so badly? I, just to give you my two cents, mm. obviously the game has gotten faster. The players have gotten better. There's a culture of celebrity around the players. There's the fear of the instant reaction on social media. But yep. do, do you think that some of it is that as the games have gotten bigger and more meaningful, referees are a little afraid to make the big decision in the big match, and, and so they've they've – opted to leave their cards in their pockets more, call fewer penalties, and just gen- generally are nervous about making big decisions? I think it goes one of two ways. I think what you're saying is is true for some, and then for others, it's the complete opposite. It's that they're going to make the big decisions too early, or they're going to make mm-hmm. decision- big decisions when they're not needed to be made. Uh, it's basically nervousness in those situations, uh, or trying to assert themselves in the game. I mean, look at Mike Dean. He's someone who loves to be the center of attention on a football yeah. pitch. I yeah, mean, he loves point. it. He just does. He has the look on his face, you know. Um, you know, I do acting and I know. He he fucking loves to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, it's just been woeful, hasn't it? I mean, what I think is also there's this feeling with, with referees and especially the top ones in England that they're almost um, untouchable to any criticism uh uh, externally, so they're all internally judged by ex-referees who are the top referees and themselves, uh, and it's all—it all seems a bit sort of FIFA-esque in that way. Mm-hmm. It's like that internal judgment of of, of, of their own. It's mistakes. like it's like when your mom tells you you're really handsome. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's it's like, well, how are we going to make? I think yeah, a good idea. This is just—I don't know very much about the whole. Uh, how how things are judged uh, in, but I know that they're all, uh, you know, judging each other in the English division. But um, I think maybe an idea would be to, you know, get a council of refs from all across Europe, or maybe a council of refs from, you know, one country to judge another, or you know, something like that. I mean, somebody who isn't used to working with the same people and isn't doesn't have silly allegiances, and because you're bound to, like any like any uh, job, you know, you're gonna. You're going to have friends, you're going to have favorites, you're going to have, um, you know, just those little uh, habits that you have. You know, I just think it's all too sort of, uh, sort of English Chummy. in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, no, I, I follow you. And I, I mean, the reality is that, you know, now with the TV spending whatever it was, another $5 billion on the rights just in England and the rights overseas, especially in the United States, set to balloon exponentially mm-hmm. again. I think the Premier League has to really take a hard look at, at refereeing and how to help the referees because the standard of refereeing, I think, is is arguably one of the biggest threats to the popularity of the game globally and, and in England as the money the players are getting paid increases, the stakes are higher, the networks are paying more for it, you know, the, the television networks. Yeah. So it's definitely something they have to they have to look at. So we survived the two days of being behind Spurs in the table. 
um, it wasn't a fun two days, but we're back at our rightful place mm-hmm. in the top four. Just as a final thought, since uh, it's your first time being on the pod, do you have any concerns at all about top four, uh, top four finish? And for you, just give me your scenario. Three competitions were still in the Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup. Yep. What would we have to do between now and the end of the season for you to consider this a good season uh, overall, where at the end of the season you would say that that was a really good season, that was an improvement on where we've been? I think we kind of have to go and, and, and win the FA Cup again because mm-hmm. I think the caliber of teams left in it really – there's not really an excuse. I know it's the cup and I know I'll probably, you know, be crying into my scarf come, you know, mid-March when we drop out in the semifinals or whatever. We'll, we'll have you on uh, Sunday to explain how we lost at home to Burrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I think there's there's kind of a big, uh, you know, emphasis on that now because, like I say, the lack of uh, sort of top teams left in it. Um, so I think that would be nice. I think... We have to finish in top four, you know, of course. Um, whether we finish, you know, higher, third, I think we can still do that. Uh, I think I think it's still possible. The only concern I have is just the amount of teams going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, as far as the Champions League go, um, <laughs> it's so hard to judge. I mean, we know we're not quite at that level yet with the other teams, but we got a good draw this round. We have to get past Monaco, we, right? Oh, I mean, we, we have will to. go. I mean, yeah. I, again, I don't want to jinx it, but I, we, I, we should go past Monaco. Uh, I'd expect that we will. They can't seem to buy a goal at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, I just think, yeah, overall, the big concern is that there's a lot of teams going for these places. I think we actually have probably the biggest advantage out of all of them. And we should probably be considered the favourites, um, even though we're three points, is it, behind Southampton? Yes. And they play tonight. They're yes. playing at the moment. Um, I think we could catch them. We could nick third if we wanted to. I'm not convinced about Man U seeing out the season that well because of their lack of system, and it seems to be all a bit on the edge for them. You, uh, you could argue that the teams playing the best football right now in the top four battle, so to speak, are yeah. Liverpool and Spurs. Are arguably yeah, I think they are. But, but I think they they we, both have Europa League coming back, yeah. which I mean, when you look at what that does to seasons domestically traditionally, that is that is a kiss of death. And I can actually see them maybe going further in their tournament than we will in ours. Well, it's an easier uh, one. Yeah. Well, there you go. Not, and no one will notice, by the way. But you know. no, no, no. Of course. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting point because they are both playing. Um, but I think it will be more one of them uh, rather than both of them. Yeah. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll pit them. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Southampton, to be honest, because they're sort of almost playing a role as a sort of stumbling block at the moment for a lot of teams. Well, uh, they have they, no midweek football to worry about. Yeah, they, have... they could end up just sitting there and, and staying there. So yeah. I'd put us as favorites out of the lot. Um, so in that respect, I think we'd have to finish in the top four to at least – retain that sort of um it's it's a sort of necessity nowadays for a top club um well let's put it this way it's arguably as talented a squad as the manager has had since 07 if not the invincibles um we have arguably the easiest run of domestic fixtures you could ask for for a run in having played all the the big teams away except for united 
Um, we have a relatively, the easiest draw we could have hoped for in the Champions League, and most of the big clubs are out of the FA Cup. So this is, this is a big referendum on the manager to some extent, right, Billy? Because he's got a very talented squad. He doesn't have a big injury crisis anymore, and he's got a pretty straightforward path in all three competitions to, to, to achieve the goals that are set for him. So fairly it important is. that he gets it done now, right? Yeah, and I think overall, you know, we've got to, we've got to sort of treat the the Tottenham loss almost uh, sort of uh, scientifically almost mathematically and just say look it's a blip in what is very good form for us at the moment fair enough Uh, we are actually doing very well and it's all about momentum now as we know from previous seasons Um, and look it'd be wicked to win the FA Cup again Uh, and I think we have a good chance of doing that Um, and I think yeah FA Cup and third would probably be in the most base form of progression progression Yes. I, I And you know what? I mean, uh, given how the season started, it'd be hard to argue. Uh, Billy, absolute pleasure to have you on. I, um, I know it was so sort much. of short notice and our other guests abandoned ship, but I, I really enjoyed this. So thanks so much. That's all right. Pleasure being on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And make sure you follow Billy. I'm sure you are already, but he's Educated Gooner on Twitter. Um, we will hopefully have him on to explain why he jinxed the FA Cup for us later. Uh, <laughs> but we, we will look forward to it nonetheless. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Um, but I certainly hope you will not hold that against anyone on this podcast and will continue to download and listen to it. This has been the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. We will talk to you after uh, the FA Cup game on Sunday. In the meantime, enjoy the football. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>